Before we start, we'd like to thank Andy Brick and Ricard Falk for their reviews on Podchaser and iTunes, respectively. It's support like this that really encourages us in what we do. Good day and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of The Coriolis Effect. If you go down to the woods today, you're in for a big surprise. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And I thought we were going to say, if you go down to the woods alone, you'll be in for a big surprise. <laughs> alone? Okay, well, alright. <laughs> if you go down to the woods no, alone, you're it. in for a I big surprise. I said don't sing it! <laughs> Um, too late, too late. <laughs> uh, 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 this is a very exciting moment for us. This is the first time we've recorded this face to face. This magazine. Other, well, program. other than other than when we're in Sweden, actually. Oh, we did we do did. that as well. We did. Yeah, no, this this but... is the second time we've recorded <laughs> this face to face. And here we are, holding hands, <laughs> sipping coffee first thing on whatever day is Saturday morning. Yeah, I'm not sipping coffee. You wouldn't get me coffee. No, that's true. I didn't ask for coffee. No, I anyway. actually expressly said I didn't want any coffee. <laughs> yes. um, so stop complaining that you haven't got any coffee. Moving on because we want to keep this episode really short we do need to keep uh, this episode short this is preceding our uh, upcoming game of uh, 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 Savage Worlds of Solomon Kane Solomon Kane yep and uh, the others are going to arrive soon that's not something we're going to record for you because it's it's being Savage Worlds it's not in the oeuvre or the remit of this programme but what is within the remit of this programme is a little summary of the world of gaming and we're going to be I think looking forward to what are we looking forward to in 2019? <laughs> looking forward to what we're looking forward to. Yeah, that's what yeah. we're going to be doing. Did you yeah. plan Did you plan that line? That's or? my script. That's what my script says. <laughs> in fact, we're, we've, we've taken a cue from the internet because, David, you came woefully unprepared to this at the beginning of the week. And you said, I haven't got anything for my article. No, I was. Uh, it's, been, it's been frantically busy. I have a new member of my household, my lovely little German shepherd puppy called Diggy, who is gorgeous but is huge and is quite lively yeah he's quite he's quite she she, she is quite big she's for a small dog she's actually. she's a well yeah she's going to be her her parents yeah. are enormous enormous so, uh, Fal- falco her dad is like a bloody werewolf he's absolutely huge if you if you if you've seen american werewolf in london and you've seen the bit where the werewolf is in the underground, yep. going after the guy who eats on the on the that escalator. Falco, That's Falco. <laughs> Except Falco is the most beautiful, lovely dog ever. Now I'm just um, realising now why you bought this damned puppy because I happen to know that you're a bit of a scholar of Roman history, and I wonder whether you're a fan of those uh, Roman detective stories featuring a, a Roman detective called Falco. Uh, I I think I've read one of them. I'm not such a big fan of that sort of fic- oh, fiction, okay. really. So but I'll, I'll let you off. I was wasn't say my... you only bought this puppy because his dad was called Falco. Uh, no. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, we're getting a bit distracted here. We're going to be talking <laughs> about uh, Forbidden Lands. Uh, and what we're going to be talking about is a thing that we saw on the internet this week, which came from... Uh, it's, it's, it's like Jonathan Friendship or something. Uh, let's have a look. The question was, are Tom Pleasant asked Tom the question? Pleasant, that's it. Jonathan Friendship, <laughs> you muppet. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Jonathan... Uh, sorry, <laughs> Tom. Tom Pleasant uh, raised Hello. a question in a couple of places on the internet, uh, Google Plus and uh, I think I think Facebook. His girlfriend wants to play Forbidden Lands with him, but she wants to do a kind of one-on-one or duet scenario. So I challenge you to think, what 
what advice would we give to somebody who wanted to play one-on-one Forbidden Lands? So we're going to listen to that in a while. Yep. Um, and probably then have a bit of an argument about it, because I'm sure you're wrong, Dave. Whatever you've said, I'm sure you're wrong. Uh, and then I... Again, gonna... see what I have to put up with? Yeah. yeah. But you only have to put up with it live just just this just, just once. Just <laughs> once a year, maybe, yeah. And then... Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the creatures that some of you who listen to the AP may already, as we as we speak, may already have heard in episode five of uh, Song to the Siren, uh, most recent Coriolis actual play, and uh, how uh, reading the reading the rule book actually gave me inspiration, not to just take a creature out of the rule book, but it gave me a whole bunch of inspiration. We'll talk about that. In a while. And then we thought, very shortly, Freel again are going to be releasing the open gaming license mm-hmm. for the Year Zero engine. And we thought we might just speculate about that for a while. Yeah, that makes... That makes... That sounds like a good, good idea. I, well, I only have good ideas, mate. Um, <laughs> on the in, other hand... In your little <laughs> world, Matthew. <laughs> uh, we said we'd start off, we're talking about the world of gaming. There's not much news in January... Uh, uh, there aren't many people releasing new stuff in January or even actually starting all that many Kickstarters. So let's talk about what we're looking forward to. What are you looking forward to, Dave, in the coming year? Well, actually, I'm going to do a little bit of slightly backward looking as well uh, and slightly out, so of, slightly out of the RPG genre just to, to, to reflect on something that I've, I'm really enjoying at the moment. So I backed uh, a board game called Nemesis, which I think I've talked about before, ah, uh, which yes, is a, uh, a board game which is, in effect, alien. And you, you play a character and you wake up in the hibernatorium, as they call it, um, with one of your crew members dead, obviously chest bursted, and then you'll get, you, know, you then run the game. And I got that just before Christmas, uh, and it's just brilliant. It's just really good. So it's a, it's a semi-cooperative game where you can play cooperatively, but everyone has uh, objectives that they they need to fulfil for them to personally win. And those objectives can be against the interests of the other players. So it can be that you know one, one of the other players has to die, or... Um, the You're a sh- robot and you've got to get this alien back home so yeah, it can be turned uh, into a machine of war. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it's, it's brilliant. So I've played three games so far, and one solo game. Which I actually played on on Facebook. Somebody was talking about a thing called Tabletop Simulator. Yeah, I'm aware of that which um, thing. I'd, I'd never come across that before, but I, I downloaded it on Steam and I played my first game of Nemesis on it yesterday solo, and I was doing really well. I did. Uh, I was a soldier, which is a good one because obviously you know yeah, difficult. You, you can do things with guns exactly, <laughs> and you're quite tough in that sense. And I was doing really well, and I'd got both my objectives done almost in the first three or four turns and all I had to do was survive until I could get back into the uh, into the uh, hyper save the cat of course you had to save the cat don't you I think the cat doesn't exist in this one there is no cat there should have been actually that would have been I'm not going to play it there's no cat oh well because it's called Jones (laughs) obviously (laughs) I think that was a reason to leave it to die Um, but then uh, the the game is designed to make it really difficult to win and we had another game the other day where um, I uh, I, I I totally failed my objective, but I was in the escape pod and about to go, and I was able. I then locked the other escape pod just before Tony got in it, so he couldn't win. He'd done his objectives, and he was running back to the escape pod. 
and I locked it and I blasted off in the other one. So it's, he hasn't forgiven me for that yet. But I just wanted to say, I know it's um, it's not a role-playing game, but it's uh, it's a board game that is just really great fun. And well, it's, uh, it's, it's got a lot of hype at the moment. And I think there are some people sort of scratching their heads as to why it's it's so hyped. But it's a great game. It it's looks really like good. a great big box. I just saw it when I came in downstairs. <clears throat> um, is it one of those that's got all those lovely models that they, it, it does. It has they some... do on Kickstarters? And it's got, in fact, more models than it really needs because of all the Kickstarter stretch goals. Um, has it got more models than it needs? No, not really, actually, because you can have... You've got, I think, at least four, maybe six adult models and you can get that many adults on the board. Right, OK. Um, the thing I thought... When I first saw it, the, the, the models for the crew are your normal sort of like, I don't know, inch and a half, two yeah. inch size. And the models for the aliens are just fucking huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the queen is probably four inches tall, maybe a bit more, five. And they just thought, hang on, this would look so much better if it was just a bit smaller. Oh, really? Um, but I got over that. That was just my first impression on the first game. Doesn't, you know, I'm quibbling. Um, yeah, you do quibble, though. I'm a, I'm a master quibbler. Okay, so that's uh, that anyway. was your Christmas present to yourself then, I guess, if it was delivered one of many just before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it was it's a great game, so I recommend it to anybody if they're interested in that sort of thing. It's a um, strong recommendation for me. And I guess that sort of as you talk about you know cooperative, but also with your own objectives, it's kind of role playing y as well. A little isn't bit, it? Even yeah. It's a board game. It's uh, sits within a very tight sandbox. It does a very small sandbox where you can only do certain things. And the way the way it works is that the ship, even though there will be a core set of rooms on the ship that will mm. always be there. You don't know where they are. So right. you randomly place them and then you have to... The, the idea is that um, when you come out of hypersleep, you've, well, disind- you're a bit disoriented. You don't remember where everything is. You know where the engines are and the cockpit is, but that's it. And everything else, you have to go and remind yourself. You have to find mm. it again because you've sort of been dumped out of hypersleep so quickly. Um, but that's good. So it makes it enormously replayable mm. uh, in that sense. Brilliant. Yeah. So what are you looking forward to? So what I'm really looking forward to is Western, actually. Uh, I am dying <laughs> to do a Western. And I'll tell you what, um, I was reminded of a bit of music that our friends at Happy Jack's RPG podcast do. Mm-hmm. Let's just give them a, 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 a buzz. And, and I've gone quiet. So speak up. Yeah, no, turning my turning my face away from the mic to look out of the window doesn't really <laughs> No, it doesn't. <laughs> Again, professionalism. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, uh, so where was I? Yes, Happy I, Jacks. I, Happy I, Jacks. Want, I want Western to arrive. I, you said you'd run a game. I want you to run a game. I want to be a cowboy um, mm. or, or some sort of Western character. And I want it to be a proper Old West game. And I want there to be no ninjas in it. <laughs> and uh, Happy Jacks have got a little theme tune that would be perfect uh, for... Uh, they they don't they, they hardly ever play this theme tune, but it's called "No, You Can't Be a Ninja." This is an old west <laughs> old west game, and they didn't have ninjas. And um, so, it's, so my list of things to be in my campaign: ninjas, <laughs> no ninjas, uh, no ninjas. werewolves, uh, no, vampires. no ninjas, no werewolves, <laughs> no vampires. I want <clears throat> the cold, hard environment and evil men, or men with their own motivations, and women, of course. Um, and uh, and guns. That's all I want in my western. Well, my my inspiration for any campaign will be Blood Meridian by Conor McCarthy, which is now I've read a few of his works, just but not, so is that a western. It's a western one. It's about mm. um, scalp hunters, ah. and it is it is bitter. I Did mean, somebody make a film of it. 
I don't know. Probably some. I, I haven't seen one. I, I vaguely know those two words put together. Yeah. Uh, but I've not seen a book of it. But it's um, it's but... It, it, it's held up as a as a really good example of sort of recreating what it was really like. Mm. And it is just bitter and horrible and the lives that those people went through was just so tough um not as tough as they went through in the road though uh, i haven't read the road have you not read the road no, no that's, that's a post-apocalyptic one it's isn't post-apocalyptic it? yeah. and it's the most depressing post-apocalyptic work yeah that's father and son thing isn't it yeah yeah you know that game where i said fuck it we're all going to die anyway that you, you ran your post-apocalyptic game yes that was my attitude after having read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, uh, Tony, uh, my brother Tony, is uh, very sentimental when it comes to father-son things. Mm. And I think he, he watched the film or read the book and just spent a month crying, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, it, it's a tough old read. Yeah. I remember reading Blood, Blood Redid- Meridian is a tough old read yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay, right. We'll, we'll... But I'm definitely up for that. I, I still don't have any sense, really, when it's going to arrive through my door. I mean, obviously, there's loads of reasons why mm. it's, it's delayed. Um and I'm not, you know, not, not not decrying any of those, of course. But um, any kind of sense when I could just get the core book through the door would be no, nice. I would like to get a core book through the door this year. I think that's what I'm yeah. saying by saying I'm looking forward to it. Because I, 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 I think I'm, 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 I'm in the mood to do something different. We were talking the other day. So my Simba Room campaign, which I'm enjoying, and I love the characters. And we've had long discussions about our concerns about the, 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 the game mechanics and the rule system. Mm-hmm. But the game itself is great and the characters we've got are brilliant. But I'm kind of in the mood to doing for doing something new, and I've talked about doing um, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Fourth Edition, which I got for Christmas as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, is that one you bought yourself for Christmas again? I I bought it myself and I gave it to my wife to wrap up. Excellent. <laughs> which is really the best. Good. So your wife best. gave it to you. Yes, of course. But she actually did the act of giving. Uh, the act of but giving. The act, the act of, of choosing. <laughs> yes, the act of buying. Yeah. Uh, was was all mine, so um, I might. I'll talk to you guys about it, about whether I, you know, I run that for a while. But yeah, Western is kind of the next one that's on my list of things right. to do. So yeah. we want it to come quickly so that I don't yeah. have to play Warhammer 40k. Uh, not Warhammer 40k, Warhammer Fantasy, fantasy Roleplay. Did you not want to play Fantasy Roleplay? Well, Warhammer. I don't know. I don't, we'll, we'll have to have this discussion offline. I'm not, I wasn't, I think, I think my text to you was, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, when, when my wife's Swedish and when, yeah. when we first got together um there was a real uh translation thing between us and what the swedes understand what we mean by when we say things so for example you know us english people if somebody says oh do you want to do such and such and you go "Mm, could do that actually means oh for fuck's sake no god i'd rather have my nuts boiled in marmalade than do that but to a swede could do means what it says it means "Mm, yeah we could do that uh, and it took us about five years before we got that translation. Session. I think I remain to be persuaded, and maybe Fair we'll enough. take an opportunity to look through your your rule book today and see whether yeah. it does. Or well, we could do something else. I mean, I I say I just think I think I'm kind of losing a bit of inspiration for my Simba Room campaign. Well, you see, and I wonder whether a change of genre into something like Western would be the ideal. Thing. I agree, but I don't yeah. have the book. No. Nah. So. Or maybe we could just put all your games towards the end of the year. And That's an option, just run actually. Lands or something. Yeah. A bit. Okay. But we'll talk about that. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, anything um, else? Oh, the other thing, of course, that's coming out from Kickstarter. I know not when because I'm only a PDF. Is this things from the flood? Things from the flood. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm not again. I'm not sure when I, when that's due to deliver this year. Mm. I yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. That'll be. Maybe you should run some more tales from the loop. I could do that. And yeah. Then we could go through that adventure and be ready to be teenagers and get killed by you and things of the flood when that comes out. 
But then I'm not running Western, am I? If I'm running, well, except we haven't got Western. <laughs> yet. But I'm just saying, okay. if you want to change from that's room. that's not a terrible idea, actually. Yeah. yeah, not a terrible idea at all. I'm also feeling the the urge to to change what I'm running for my weekly group as well. So I'm doing Simbaroom. Uh, Simbaroom. Uh, you're I'm doing, doing Coriolis. Coriolis. Yeah. For for various reasons, we haven't played as frequently as um, you know we we had you done normally. Doing, yeah. yeah. And I've got an idea how I can run the campaign through, but I just wonder whether it might be a good idea to mix up and do something. Maybe Forbidden Lands, possibly. Mm. I haven't spoken to the guys about it yet, and I would quite like to get to a point in the Coriolis campaign that it's a sensible point to stop. Yeah. Um, which we're not at at the moment, but um, yeah, another thought. But Things from the Flood, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Tales from the Loop, but being able to kill the kids, that gets my vote, absolutely. Right, okay, I'll look forward to that, I think. <laughs> um, uh, what else? Is there anything else? That's... Not particularly that I'm massively looking forward to. I've got another no. game, interestingly, that I backed on Kickstarter, again, at a relatively low level, but it sounded fascinating, and that's called Flying Circus. Okay. And it's uh, Tales from the Apocalypse. Sorry, not Tales. Powered by powered, the Apocalypse. Yeah. Um, powered game. And it's um, a kind of mix of... Have you seen those uh, Studio Ghibli films about flying pigs? I think Porco Rosso. No, I haven't. Um, I mean, flying pigs as in they don't actually fly. Because as we know, pigs don't fly. Um, <laughs> but they can be excellent pilots in Porco Rosso. Okay. So it's a sort of mix of World War One style aeroplanes okay. flying over a sort of fantasy middle European thing, which the guy behind Studio Ghibli was always mad on. I mean, that's why it's called Studio Ghibli. That's an Italian car make or something from, okay. from the early part of the 20th century. Um, uh, yeah, so this is a, a sort of weird fantasy pilots versus dragons in a sort of middle European Germany. Uh, you like all the really... Weird. Weird stuff that yeah. you could only imagine if you're having a bad trip. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but it, it's it's weird for a Powered by the Apocalypse game in that it's quite crunchy when it comes to flying, but mm. they've got some fascinating sort of... The way the rule system works around flying and having dogfights looks really, really interesting. Yeah, okay. So anyway, I, I saw it, backed it, and um, that's just one thing I'm kind of looking forward to, but with no mm. intention of playing. Of course, actually, we have got to play something you're really looking forward to, my wife genuinely actually bought me a role-playing game for Christmas. Out of the blue. Didn't just wrap it. Okay. Um, and Was it her idea or did you give her the idea? I might have hinted towards okay. it, I guess. <laughs> but but she, she did the ordering. It came from Games Law and it is Phoenix Dawn Command. Okay. Which you and I have spoken about. We have. And it's a lovely card-based mechanic, which I know you love. <laughs> you I'm, love those cards. I'm warming to them, actually. <laughs> I'm not as bad about cards as I used to be this time last year. So yeah. I'd like to try a one-shot of that. Yeah, at least. that sounds and, good. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I'm dedicated to playing Forbidden Lands, uh, which... Uh, so you which should be. We know our listeners want to listen to this. Yeah, and your players want to play it. Yeah, and the players want to play it. So that will be the very next game that I run will definitely be a Forbidden Lands but maybe later on once we've got a few of those under our belt and plenty to listen to yeah. we'll, we'll we'll crack open Phoenix Storm Command yeah I'm up for a game of that I'm also really keen to play the Rabbits at Passchendaele that you keep talking ah, about ah yeah that'd be, okay, an interesting, that'd be an interesting one shot as well yeah. yeah right we should have to plan that and that might be a good one to record as well 
It would be interesting, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Okay, cool. so let's crack on. Forbidden Lands. Now, you and I, we're really lucky because we've got a little team of people. I'd like, I'd like actually a little, you know, we play with three players and me. And three players have been, I mean, I think we're, we're, we're triply blessed in that we have three players who know how each other plays. And yeah. I think we play to each other's strength. Um, I mean, people, Guy, I, the other two, I think, let you talk too much, but... Um, <laughs> Well, actually, I mean, it's a good point, though. I mean, Andy, I think they let you talk too much as well when you're playing. Well, this is why in Simbaroom I'm playing somebody who's mute, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Which is then equally frustrating, <laughs> if not more so, in fact. Because uh, I think both Tony and Andy are quite... They're not really the push-themselves-into-the-front kind of people. No. They're quite happy to go along and then, and then you know, react off others, I think. And I, I'm, I'm quite... Mouthy, isn't it? Isn't it surprising then that the two of us who talk the most are the ones who run the podcast? <laughs> Funny that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. sorry, this is getting a little bit off the topic. Yeah. Uh, we're blessed. We've got people to play with, uh, or, or other, I should say, more than one people to play with. But if you're sitting there with a copy of Forbidden Lands and only one other person to talk to or play a game with, how are you going to run that? Indeed. Let's have a listen to what your thoughts are, Dave. Let's do that. I guess. At one time or another, we have all fallen foul of having a great game we want to play, but no one to play it with. Some of us are lucky to have good groups of friends to roleplay with, but there have been a couple of times over my 40 years of playing where that hasn't been the case, and I've played and GM'd games with only one player character. Obviously, roleplaying is at its best when a group of characters are working and growing together, and playing with only one player brings up a few issues to bear in mind. But for me, it certainly doesn't mean that the player and the GM can't still have a great time. After all, Matthew keeps banging on that the GM is a player too, and some of my best role-playing moments have been between my character and an NPC played by the GM. This question has come up recently in relation to Forbidden Lands, and I think there are a few ways you could handle it. The first thing I'll say is this. Year Zero games are tough and unforgiving. Death is always just one or two dodgy dice rolls away and can happen very fast. And being alone might make staying alive in the Forbidden Lands even harder. So you could allow the player to play multiple characters. One of my earliest role-playing experiences, when I was 10 or 11, was playing D&D with my brother as GM. He ran the module Q1, the Queen of the Demon Web Pits, and I played five characters. I still remember it 40 years on, and it was great. But that said, my preference is for role-playing just one character, for all the various reasons we all know. So how about allies, henchmen and servants? They allow you to focus your attention on your PC, while having the backup of other characters, and remove some of the problems of travelling through the Forbidden Lands on your lonesome. Also, It can be great fun for a player to build up their little coterie or entourage, and how you behave towards them, how you came to have them in your employ, and how you reward them all plays into an exciting wider story without diluting the top billing of your actual character. Have you enslaved them, dominating them so they do your bidding without thought of resistance? This might work well most of the time, but how hard will they try to pull your unconscious and bleeding body from the clutches of some beastly creature in a dark dungeon? Or will they just run and leave you to die? Or will they actively connive at your downfall? 
After all, living under the yoke won't be fun, and they might actually want their freedom, and to see you fall. Or are you too kind to them? Will they be loyal for your kindness, or will they see it as weakness and take advantage? The idea of having henchmen is one I really like in Forbidden Lands, and it's certainly not just for one-player games. But it could really come into its own in a game with only one player, adding even more depth to a game mechanic that's principally intended to support the creation of your stronghold. I love the idea of the stronghold, akin to the Ark in Mutant Year Zero, but unless your GM is very generous, and we all know that Matt isn't, it's something that really opens up later in a campaign, as your characters begin to build up enough treasure or income to pay for the high costs of having a stronghold. But if you wanted to go solo, there is one area that's going to cause you trouble, and that's travelling. Remember, each quarter day a character can do one, or sometimes two, combined actions. Everyone can hike, and you can combine that with either lead the way or keep watch. But critically, for an explorer going solo, not both. If you fail, or don't even attempt to lead the way, you suffer a mishap ranging from simple blocked terrain to fog, or at worst, blundering into the den of a savage animal that attacks you. Hmm, not good. But then, if you fail, or don't even attempt, to keep watch, you fail to spot any random encounters the GM may, or will, roll for you. Keep watch is also useful when you do anything else, so a solo traveller will never be able to do this while doing any other action, like make camp forage, rest, and sleep. Hmm, that all sounds a bit tough to me. So how am I to GM modify this to make it more manageable for a single player? Well, I reckon there are a few things that you could consider. First, and easiest, give the character a servant or an entourage. These NPCs could then fulfil these roles, and you don't need to tinker with the rules at all. But if your player is determined to go it alone... Well, don't modify a thing, and see how that plays out. This might be a bit harsh, but again, doesn't need any house ruling, and it might be fun to see how long a lone character would survive. Or you could allow the character to do two travelling actions, but at a negative on both. After all, you could go foraging whilst keeping watch, but you'd find it harder to find forage, as you're always looking over your shoulder. And you'd be worse at spotting trouble, as you'd always have one eye to the ground looking for food. So perhaps a minus two dice modifier to both rolls sounds reasonable. You could also apply this to any other action you wanted to double up, remembering that you can already double up hike with keep watch or lead the way. Is there an action you can't really double up? Well, I think sleep is probably the only one. If you're alone and asleep, then there's no one to keep watch. And you have to sleep at some time or another, and it won't always be in the comfy confines of a warm tavern or behind some high stone walls. And even then you might want to keep watch, depending on how friendly the town is. A kind GM might allow you to take longer to make camp, two quarter days instead of one. Okay, so your journeys take longer, but you might have a better hope of living to tell the tale. This extra time to make camp might represent you finding a great hidey hole to build your camp in, or setting some rudimentary traps that would snap and alert you to the arrival of something sneaking up on you. It might not stop the beastly thing getting right on top of you, but at least the first you'd hear of it won't be when it's eating your donkey.
In dice terms, I think I'd let you make two rolls to make camp, and add all the successes up into one total, not forgetting that you might be at a minus two dice modifier anyway if you're keeping watch whilst you make camp. One success means you have only managed to make a normal camp, you didn't find anywhere really suitable, and your traps all look a bit weak to you. In game terms, you made camp, but your camp failed its keep watch roll. You can then choose to sleep and hope for the best, or stay awake, keep watch yourself, and become sleepy. Two successes means your camp is perfect, and anything sneaking up on you in your sleep will trip your traps. In game terms, your camp has made its keep watch roll. Three or more successes, and I'd be tempted, as a GM, to say that one of your traps has caught someone, or something, in the night, and they are now stuck and in your power. Uh, that was great, uh, Dave. And I think what's interesting about your take on this is you really tried to think about what are the principles of Forbidden Lands that mm. make it not just any old fantasy role-playing game. What are the things that make Forbidden Lands unique? And how do we, tr- how do we try and protect those things yeah. in this play? So obviously, Forbidden Lands is very much about hex crawling. Yeah, you could ignore the hex calling entirely and possibly give somebody a few more skills and let them do that. But Yeah, I wasn't, I mean, having read the stuff on G+, I wasn't attracted to the idea of just making your character a bit more OP Yeah. in order to deal with it. Because like, so that kind of, it doesn't defeat the point, but it, it, it means you kind of skirt around some of the other, other parts of the game that actually... You ought to lean more into, I think. I mean, you know, the the travelling dynamic and the hex crawling thing is one of the things that really attracts me to the game. Um, the stronghold and the whole entourage, coterie, mm. having a group of henchmen thing is another thing that really attracts me to the game. So let's make the most of them. Yeah, and I think that idea, you know, I think with a bit of thought, actually, one could create a... Uh, this is entirely off the top of my head, uh, since you mentioned the entourage, and I wasn't really planning on talking about that, but I think you're right. That's, that's a... You know, there is that's a very simple way is rather than have multiple characters, there's some sort of rule set for your entourage so they don't necessarily just stay in your stronghold and look after that. Yeah, you might have a couple of people who come with you on your adventures, yeah, but they very much they're not characters in their own right. The GM doesn't really control them, you're you're controlling them in some way through I don't know, charisma dice rolls or something like that. that that shows your leadership of them yeah. when you ask them to do a thing. Uh, you could not necessarily send them into battle. They might be looking to you to be the defender. Um, I think they would be they would be sort of partly controlled by the player and partly controlled by the GM. And I think they were, that brings sort of story ideas or story potentials into it, yeah. which could be that you know one of them... You know, these are a bit like Doctor Who's companions, aren't they? Yeah. You know, one of them, you know, Turlow... Going back in the yes. day, yeah, who was showing uh, your age there, Peter Davison, um, but he was probably the best companion they've ever had in Doctor Who. No, Sarah Jane, um, obviously. Don't, Sarah Jane, but but shit. but Turlo was a was a was a traitor. Yeah, he was working for the Master uh, all, all the along, all along, and that was great. Um, so I like the idea that you can have that little entourage, but actually they're not just uh, sort of automatons who no. are just doing what you say. They are characters in their own right, and they're, yeah. but they're non-player characters. But they could be, I mean, you know, given the sort of procedural nature of a lot of Forbidden Lands, there could be tables and dice rolls that one could create 
that predicts a about bit loyalty and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really. Mm, mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like, maybe that's for next time I could look at that because I think that's a really good idea because I think I, you could you could really really explore that part of the game and it's even more important for a single player yeah. than it might be for a group now one of the things about single player games you and I uh, both are official playtesters of the Gumshoe one to one system yeah. um, we playtested uh, Robin D. Law's game Cthulhu Confidential and that is a gumshoe game, but it's a specific version of the gumshoe system called Gumshoe One to One. It's specifically designed to be played with one GM and one player. It's a detective story, so that's the principle that it's following. And uh, part of the ways around you only having one player in that is you've got a network of contacts that you can ask particular things of. Mm. But also fundamentally, and this is really true for a detective story, it's really hard to die in that mm. game because of course death doesn't get you to the end of a detective story finding out what happened gets you to the end of a detective story <laughs> yes. dying halfway there even if you roll up another character you know that's another character who in theory doesn't know about the past so it it makes it you can be really damaged by this game you can die but you generally will only die after you've discovered at, the end at the end yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, now this game principle works a bit differently because I think very much part of the principles of this game is you can die so a story that means that you die alone in the plane somewhere having made a silly mistake is still a good story I mean it's not necessarily a massively satisfying one for a player but have you thought at all about whether actually you want to make it as easy to die as it currently is in Forbidden Planet, or is it easy to be broken? Forbidden Planet, Forbidden Lands. Forbidden Lands, yeah. Um, so I think there's two things there. One, I had thought similarly about the idea, I think, of, of boosting a character's stats. You could, if you wanted, as a GM, have some kind of backstory that the character has been you know, blessed by some wizard or something, and so you, know, you give them more lives. Hmm. So you know, when they die, maybe you know, three times or two times, they... 12 hours later, they come back to life because they've got this magic infused in them, which would allow you allow the player to die, which is going to happen, hmm. um, but not end the story there and then. So you've got a sense of that. But that, that's a bit kind of, you know, it's a bit... I honestly can't think of the word. I can't. <laughs> not a clue. Um, um, it's, it's, it's too much of a hack. You know, it's yeah. it, it, it's it's you know the hand of God comes down and says, uh, "I don't like the yes. way that's it's gone." It's a bit of a Deus Ex Machina. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. Uh, we got there in the end. I might edit out that thirty <laughs> seconds, or I'm not finding a word. Um, so I, I don't think it feels great from that point of view, but it mm. could work as a one-off, perhaps. Yeah. The other thing is, um, I think for the GM, if you're not going to make the fights really easy, uh, the outcome of the fight just might need to be different. So in a lot of games, the outcome of, of a fight when you lose, you're dead. In this game, uh, as with all Year Zero games, uh, more, more than likely you're going to be broken rather yeah. than dead. And that means you're, you're out of the fight, but you're not killed. So that then can lead on to lots of other opportunities for the story to develop. Um, but I think a GM will have to be conscious of the fact that, okay, in every fight, there's a reasonable chance that my one player is going to be broken. Mm. What happens after they're broken? I mean, if they're broken by a pack of wolves, then the wolves are likely to eat them. Yeah. I, you know, if they're broken by uh, a bandit, 
the bandit might just rob them. Yes, and, and leave, leave, them, leave them, leave them to die. But they um, might not die. No. Uh, so of course, being so think, broken in this game, though, you do have to roll on the crits table, and yeah. the crits table may kill you. Yes, yes, that is very true. Um, Unless we did a slightly different crits table that maybe, like the gumshoe one to one system, is only going to kill you later, or yeah, or has a has a reduced chance of killing you. Still, yes. a chance of killing you outright. So again, but, it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's the thing I find, particularly with, with Coriolis and, and all these games, is when, when, as a GM, you get to the point that something's happened, someone's been a bit stupid and they've been shot or they've been stabbed or something, yeah, you, and, there's, and, there's a, and there's a crit, <laughs> well, including me, yes, um, and there's a crit roll coming, or there's an option for a crit roll. As a GM, I, I try and pick, uh, pick my moments for doing mm. the crits, and there needs to be a reason for it. Because when I roll the dice, that character may be dead. Yeah. You know, a half a second later. So I think you have to be have to pick those moments, and it and it really builds up the the tension in the game. And I think the players enjoy it for that. Mm. With one player, it, it, it's it becomes binary, doesn't it? It's either you know I'm going to be lucky and survive, or the game's over. Yeah. So you have to be quite careful again as a GM to crit your single player. Mm. Um, although, as I said in Forbidden Lands, when you get broken, the crit just happens, doesn't it? Yeah. And as the same with Mutant Zero. So it's not such a choice in in that sense. But then maybe there is a a Forbidden Lands one to one crit table that's a bit different. That yeah, gives you conditions maybe. Mm. Like like in in Gumshoe one to one, you get a card that says from now on this is your disadvantage. Yes, and obviously it's Cthulhu, so there's a lot of disadvantage about going crazy. <laughs> but it doesn't stop you being entirely functional until the end of the yeah. adventure. Now here, that is quite a big change, isn't it? Though, so it's, it is quite a hack of the rules. Yeah, but it, it might yeah. be. The, it might be the right thing to do, um, but some people might not want to have to yeah. do such a big house rule. And also, there isn't. You know, the, the key thing, difference about this is this is very much a procedural game. That is, you know, the the outcome are defined a lot more by dice than by there being a secret, a story that you have to find out. Yeah. In, like you do in a detective story. Yeah, I and mean, that's one so, of the things that really attracts me. I was thinking, again, with my group in the week, doing Forbidden Lands, but then making every scenario just designed by the dice rolls. Yeah. Don't, and, do, don't do any thinking at all. Just let the dice decide what's going to happen. And, you know, the last adventure we ran, which I'm so cross that we failed to record, uh, that was effectively done that way. That was great, that, yeah. Um, that was really good. So it does work. It, you know, yeah. it's, it's a game that works like that. So one of the things that was suggested online is you just get successes on fives or sixes. How do you feel about that? No, I don't like that. No, for me, no. that doubles the chance. That that seems to yeah. be a massive change it to is. the probability. Yeah. Even if, even if as, as was suggested online, yeah, that five is a partial success. Well, actually, one six is supposed to be a partial success yes. anyway. Um, so no, I don't... I'm, not for me. It might be for some, but not for me. Yeah. What about the multitasking thing? Um, well, I, th- I think that... I, well, I like it. I think that works. Um, and I think it, it still fits the, 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 feel, the feel of the game. Um, because actually, if, you are, if you're leading the way whilst you're hiking... Um, you know the, the rules as stated don't allow you to do anything else but if you're leading the way surely you're kind of keeping watch at the same time potentially the two things are pretty similar in the activity you'll actually be doing so I I, I do wonder whether you could allow not just doubling up of those actions but 
tripling up. So mm. when you're hiking, you could lead the way and keep watch, but perhaps each roll there would then be on a minus three dice. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a lot of like the, that's when, a lot of dice. When you're crewing in Coriolis and you've got a ship that's too big for your crew, yes, if you do more than one uh, task in a space combat, you take a minus two on both the tasks that you do. Yeah, uh, and then a cumulative minus two as well. Yeah. So that I, I, or minus one, I can't remember that. No, it's minus two. Yeah. You're right. You're right. My I guess my feel for Forbidden Lands, my sense is that your dice pools are slightly smaller. Is that just because I've been playing with characters that have now got quite a lot of experience and have got extra dice because they've spent experience on skills and things? Um, mm. Is there any reason why? I don't think there is. Maybe not. So perhaps a minus three dice negative yeah. is is acceptable. The other thing you could do is say that the the action takes twice as long. So the hike, you'd, you'd yes. hike the distance you would in one quarter... But in two quarters, if you are leading the way and keeping watch, yeah. which would then might reduce might where, reduce the negative to minus two. Because I can't so. remember there being massive advantages to getting multiple successes on either there of aren't, those tasks. No, they're not. So if you got multiple successes, would you get a free keeping watch as well as a lead the way? Potentially, that's a bit like my um, making camp and yeah. keeping watch thing, isn't it? Where um, the successes you get on on the rolls that you make then dictate how well you've done it. And if you do really well, your traps are so good that anybody who does blunder into your into your camp gets captured, cool. gets caught in the trap. So that could work. Um, but I quite like, having thought about it from a single player point of view, I quite like some of the things I've come up with. And I think we might... We might have a discussion offline about whether yeah. you might want to include some of those in our in our bigger game. Because I think... No. It, <laughs> Did you, did you know the bit? Did you know? Did you know the bit where I said that you're not a generous GM? Um, just, <laughs> I you're just, that, you're yeah. just proving my point yeah. yet again. Um, or maybe when if I if I run a Forbidden Lands campaign with the guys down the pub, then maybe, um, maybe I'll do it because I think it makes sense. Yeah. Actually. Well, to be honest, actually, I think there's an interesting thing there about if you've rolled up in in Legends and Adventurers an entirely random character, and you end up with with a party who are not necessarily able between them to do all the functions yeah i might be more generous then but probably <laughs> uh, this no. is this is a post-apocalyptic fantasy world it's meant to be tough it is yeah uh, you are well, all gonna die and that was the other thing you could just try running a one-player game with the rules as written and see how it goes yeah and it, it would then be incumbent upon the player to be much more careful. Well, there's a thing, actually. I did think about this. Um, Conan. And I don't mean Conan the role-playing game. I mean Conan the books. Yeah. Uh, there is a character that's done pretty much everything on his own. And it dawned on me that although we think of Conan as the big muscly sword fighter guy, actually, what if you read the books, Conan does an awful lot of sneaking around. <laughs> yeah. So if I were doing a one-to-one with you and I were allowed not to use uh, Legends and Adventures, but to design my own character, I think I'd be designing a sneaky character. Yeah. When you're on your own, sneaky is where you want to be. Yeah. Let's face it, fighting is all about being with your mates, basically, having somebody to cover your flanks. Yep. If you're on your own, you haven't got that. No. Or at least fighting... did later on in his adventures, but yeah. he started off as a thief. Yeah. And 
And that's what we should be thinking about. Sneaky characters who see the giant spider and sneak around the giant yeah. spider. And they've got really good dice balls for doing that. And they only fight having to do when the they absolutely have to. Yeah. When it's life or death and so they're going to be cornered. That's yeah. what I'd do. Yeah, that makes sense. Brilliant. Cool. Excellent. So, Tom, uh, thank you for... I mean, you didn't ask us specifically, but it was a great question to put on the internet. Yeah. And we've had, um, well, we've had about half an hour's content out yeah. so well done well done Tom well done Tom <laughs> I don't even do. know whether he listens to the show bloody yeah, well better do now <laughs> we'll send him a message and say listen we're talking about you so next in our line we have got um, oh yeah it's your piece Matt about uh, your um, your strange creatures that are inhabiting the uh, the star singer no the, or siren. the siren <laughs> well the uh, reason I chose star singer for the name is that it, it, it's um Relevant to one of the one of the icons. One of the icons is referred to the Star Singer. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm entirely happy with Star Singer. So, if it, you want to take it away from the context of the game, that's fine. No, I no no. It might, <laughs> it's just that when this thing happened, this idea with this du- duality of of the AI, suddenly I've been looking for a scenario upon which to hang the title "Song to the Siren" after one of my favourite songs, uh, which you yes. must listen to. Uh, this mortal coil. Um, YouTube it it's uh, for me it really feels very Coriolis that song anyway let's listen to what you had to say let's not yeah don't listen we... to that music until you've, you've listened finished. to what I've had to say <laughs> yeah exactly then we can talk about it afterwards people listening to our most recent Coriolis actual play may have picked up on a few references from a start and a bad guy inspired by the movie The Bad Batch through scavengers modelled after Steptoe and Son, which our American listeners may know better as Sanford and Son, to a wrecked ship, absolutely and openly based on the Liberator from Blake Seven. But when it came to the creatures infesting that ruined ship, it was the Coriolis rulebook I turned to. I didn't really find what I was looking for, but I did find some inspiration. And this is the story of how I riffed on that inspiration, fudged the details, and tested my half-formed ideas in play. The inspiration came from a creature that was almost what I wanted. The Darkbound are regular people that are somehow claimed by the dark between the stars, as the core book says. Until that point, I hadn't decided whether the creatures I wanted were native to the planet, creatures of the darkness, or, as suggested here, fellow prisoners who are somehow changed. And given that the adventure is partly about how prisoners are changed by exile, it struck me, on reading about the Darkbound, it was suddenly obvious that my creatures should be changed prisoners. The description of the Darkbound seemed perfect too, looking, and I quote, like a thin and twisted human, with only a few torn patches of hair left, and with burning eyes and long claws instead of fingers. But the real inspiration came from their mystic power. They only have one, well, arguably they have a couple, but more on that later. The only power which is actually described mechanically is Night Veil. I won't quote it here, but in short, it's a mental attack. It does not deal out mind point damage, but it does make it difficult to think with a minus two, that's a negative two modifier, for rolls on observation, advanced skills, and initiative. 
Now, I didn't actually use that attack per se, but the idea suddenly made sense of what my creatures were, how they came to be, and the nature of the AI, Kadim, and the ship itself. Fans of Blake 7 may remember the ship's computer, Zen. When I started planning my adventure, I imagined an advanced AI like Zen having been ripped out of its ship, enlisting the PCs to get him fitted back in. The Darkbound's mystic power unlocked a deluge of different, better ideas. What if the relationship between Kadim and the ship was more complex? What if Kadim was the rational, thinking part of the ship, the ego? And when it was ripped out, what was left behind was the id, the instinctive, feeling part. What if both parts of the ship were damaged by the separation? Kadim can calculate and communicate, but it can't really understand the humans it works with because it has to fake empathy. I'm going to say it's autistic, while recognising that's a massive oversimplification of a complex condition. Meanwhile, the ship, which Dave called Starsinger, but I am going to call Siren, can feel and emote. It can run subroutines and try to repair itself, but it can't really communicate. It moans, it sings its despair, and it's that which makes it difficult to think. It's not a mystic attack at all. The longer you spend in the ship, the closer you get to where Kadim had been ripped out, the harder it becomes to make a wits roll. Mechanically, I ran this as a minus two penalty to any wits-based skill roll when they're in the chamber, which is equivalent to the bridge, but I think I'd recommend doing it differently in future. So these creatures are not the perpetrators of the mind-dimming effect, but its victims. Previous salvagers who spent too long in the vessels and literally lost their wits. It's more than that, though. They have been transformed in other ways by prolonged exposure to the song of the siren. They have become automata, part of the ship's systems. I wanted the alien technology to feel properly alien, unknowable. I wanted it to be composed of strange, sealed units that would be absolutely baffling to my engineer. So, I imagined these creatures' bodies were so changed by the influence of the siren, no longer eating, sustained only by the song, that they are almost ethereal. They can reach into the strange machinery of the ship to maintain and to operate it. They also needed to be a threat to the PCs, though, and I had stolen their only mystic power to use as a more general effect. Well, I say it's their only power, and if you look at their stat block, it's the only one listed. But the description mentions a couple of others. They, quote, move incredibly fast, closing in on their victims in the blink of an eye to sink their claws into them, and, I quote again, just the touch of a dark bound can paralyse someone completely. So, I treated their touch like a paralysing poison, activating it not on just the touch, but when they actually do damage to a PC. I didn't want them to be too aggressive, though, so I wanted some sort of trigger for an attack. Thinking back to the separation of Kadim's ego from the siren's id, 
I decided that they would only attack when a PC would try to reason with them, talk to them. So unused were they to communicating in anything other than the raw emotion of the siren. I like the idea that they might now be integral to the operation of the ship, and that, if they managed to get off-planet in the siren, the PCs would have to put up with them scuttling around and also remember not to talk when they were nearby. So, I was done. However, testing them in play, I decided that, for our ill-equipped adventurers, the paralysis power could be not dangerous exactly, but not fun. Combined with their natural speed, I saw that it could easily create a situation when the whole party was paralysed. And though they might not be dead, why would the creatures kill them if they were quiet? It might be a very frustrating experience, and the scenario was already frustrating enough. So I am thinking instead about a mystic power which, for the cost of a darkness point, allows them to ignore the effects of PC armour and maybe for another DP makes it easy for them to inflict unarmed crits? Finally, I needed a name, because I feel these creatures are now quite different from the Darkbound that inspired them. I have called them Abdelred, a corruption of an Arabic word that means simply crew. I really like that, Matt, and I, I, I particularly... I love your idea about the duality of the ship. I think having the idea that Kadim has been torn out of the ship and it, it's it, it's two halves of you know the yin and yang of the ship um, is great. I really really think that worked really well. The other thing I really like is the idea of these the the crew, as it were, the the creatures on board, actually not being aggressive or dangerous or or, or danger wrong word, but not being inherently out to you know protect the ship or eat people who come on board but just being part of it and then they react when they hear things that are there in a kind of automatic way they don't mean to be nasty yeah, yeah. but they uh and i love the idea you know, the idea of you know if if we eventually manage to get off the prison planet with this ship that um you know we have this crew going around the ship and we have to be sort of mindful of what we're doing around that. i think that's a really a really good idea i like that very much yeah well you know when <sighs> I looked again at Blake 7, actually, mm. after we were talking about the Liberator. And actually, I feel... Well, there's a number of... Let me talk about Blake 7 for a minute. <laughs> By God, it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's very dated, isn't it? It's <laughs> really, yeah. really dated now. You can see it all on YouTube, as, as, as I think. But it feels like... I mean, particularly the special effects on the prison ship, the, the London. Yes. It looks like something that came out of Buck Rogers, for Christ's sake, from the 30s. Well, it's like, it's not like the kind of thing that me and my brother used to do with our Super 8 camera back in the, in the, in the 70s with a, bit of, with a bit of wire. Cheesy, cheesy yeah. stuff. Um, well, I guess the budgets weren't so high, were no, they? No, the budgets were yeah. not high at all. And it really looks like, you know, all, all the all the interior sets on there, it's like, oh, you can have uh, half the studio because we've got Blue Peter happening over there, <laughs> yeah. but you can have the kind of broom cupboard and say so the bridge is this awful. You know, it doesn't look like a bridge at all. It looks like well, let's let's bung a, a bunch of mixing desks up on the wall and then we'll you know, we'll have to walk around those rather uncomfortably. Um, anyway, so there's that. Let's just get over that. Oh, the spacesuits, <laughs> their environment suits as well. 
They've got these old 1960s motorcycle helmets with a little bit of wire going round in front of their face. Like it's <laughs> okay, I don't cra- uh, sorry, ran, ran over. <laughs> but by God, it's crap. Uh, and also, it was, but fundamentally, it was disappointing because these guys are meant to have found some sort of alien warship. And it begins quite well. It's got this weird defense mechanism, which Andy in the game was convinced once you'd all twigged it was the Liberator. He was convinced you guys are going to be affected by that, mm. which was this sort of thing again that does a mental attack on you, yeah. gives you hallucinations. Mm. And then that, you know, they go, no, ignore it. It's not real. And it's gone. Oh, they shoot it as well. Um, but then it's gone forever. Then there's a wonderful bit of Zen, of, of uh, Jenna, the pilot getting stuck to some sort of plate. And I think we're meant to understand from that that uh, her brain is being downloaded into Zen because then mm. Zen starts talking to her, or talking to the crew in English and he knows all about them. And so there's this, this, this opening of it being really alien and strange, but then it becomes entirely functional. Yeah. And... Well, I guess they probably didn't want it to be in the way of the story. No, whereas, but, but for this... I want it to be really alien and strange. I want yeah. it to always be really alien and strange. Yeah. And, and, you know, and Coriolis lends itself to weirdness. <laughs> alien and strange. And so I, I'm really interested. I'm not really sure whether this is a ship you're necessarily going to want to keep. No. Um, because, you know, one of the things, I want to make it difficult for you to be an engineer on it. Mm. Like really difficult for you to be an engineer. And, and, and so that's why I kept talking about these, these sealed units. You couldn't, you just couldn't get your head around. Yeah. And, and I, can, I can imagine, you know, Yafet trying to do um, you know, engineering on that ship with the uh, with the crew. What are, what are they? The uh, Abdel Abdelard. Abdelard. <laughs> uh, um, being a bit like trying to do something at home with my new puppy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Constantly something in the way. Just you've got to like you can never get anything done. Yeah. Now I uh, I think it's the sort of thing where you'd have to be asking. Obviously, first of all, you need to reinstate Kadim into the ship so yeah. Kadim and Siren work together, and then the the more uh, the more helpful version of Kadim that will be there because he, <laughs> yeah. he's got emotional as well as uh, more more helpful implies that he's been helpful because <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't so far. He's been helpful. <laughs> he's been a, a, st- a stubborn git um, so far. The less stubborn version of Kadeem <laughs> will work with you. And then, you know, I don't imagine there's a way of you being able, you know, ever to get the the Abdelard to do stuff from verbal instruction. Verbal yeah. instruction will get you attacked. Attacked. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, but if, but particularly not really Kadeem, but Siren, the ship itself, you know, if you ask Kadeem to do something, Siren will, will send these guys to, to do it, to do the fiddling about yeah. the machinery, I think. Yeah, um, yes, that's uh, my plan. So, so okay, so Yafet's got a got an engineering crew. I think so, um, yeah. but like like kind of well, remote control drones, almost yeah. like robots rather than the crew, yeah. but weird, vaguely see through humans that used to be human. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think probably you know I I'm hypothecating on what the portal builders were, but yeah. you had that brilliant idea when when you designed the ship that. There was no gravity on board because these guys didn't need gravity. Yeah. But also, I kind of see them, well, you know, they just reach into a machine and change it. Yeah. In a way, so they don't need controls. So, um, yeah. so, so that's it. I don't, want to, I don't want to specify too much about what they are because, again, I want them to be alien and unknowable. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think this crew can be your way then of, of adapting the ship. And, you know, in a way, this is why 
sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you how to play the next half of the scenario. <laughs> so I shouldn't really be doing this. But yeah, this is why it's been so difficult for previous generations of prisoners to not just take the ship and fly off. Yeah, It's not just about your engineering skill and the potential skill, but I think your understanding. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting point that you're saying that this might be a ship, if we manage to get it off the planet, might be a ship that we won't want to keep. Yeah. Because it's just a bit weird. And I've I've definitely got... Yeah, through that scenario, I definitely have an uncomfortable feeling about the ship. Yeah. Even though it's potentially our passage off the off the prison planet. Um, there's definitely... I'm unsettled by it, which is... I think, cool. I think from what you're saying, exactly what you were exactly trying to... Exactly what I was trying to do. Trying to get. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's good. Because um, it doesn't feel very homely. No, it's not no. like the play, you know. It's and not, I think I think you can you will adapt that if you want to. But put again, some nice furnishings in, you know, you'll a be, big a big you'll IKEA be creating order. spaces within spaces. Yeah. There'll be the functional bits of the ship, and then you, you'll you'll try and make a home of it. But it won't. I don't think it'll ever be gravity. I don't know no. whether you're convinced. Um, I'd have to install graviton projectors and stuff then yeah. we or, or you know, there, may, there may be the wherewithal to make gravity in the ship Yeah, they just haven't needed it and then they've got to deal with the surfaces because yeah. there aren't any necessarily surfaces for, for people to walk around you need yeah. walking yeah. around yeah. round tubes all the time so, hmm. so yeah I wouldn't make case, it uncomfortable which, for you yeah, in which case <laughs> gravity might be a disadvantage on board because yeah. you wouldn't be able to get anywhere yeah because <laughs> so, so it's a good opportunity to practice our zero G movement skills yeah. Cool. Excellent. No, but that's really good. And I really look forward to playing the next the next scenario, um, whenever that'll be, because obviously we're going to do Forbidden Lands next, aren't we? Yes. But, yeah. So um, I mean, that might, I guess, possibly be next time we're in Norfolk. It might be. Yeah. Um, now, the interesting thing about listening to that, I actually thought, you know, this, I really like this scenario quite a lot. And I I've only was... listened to the first, the, fir- the first episode we put out and then a bit of the second. Right. But I love that opening. I mean, I... I had to listen to it just because I remember the, you know, the feeling of satisfaction that the plan worked. <laughs> yes. You know, everything came off and we, we worked it out well. And it, you know, I, uh... well, there's a crazy thing actually. I have to show you this just to prove that I did this thing because um, remember, uh, I didn't expect you to necessarily win. I was yeah. thinking you were going to somehow negotiate with these guys or um, just get captured. Get captured, uh, and then I imagined you'd be going back to the place where the where the Salvage Town, or it was called. Yeah, where, where, where the cannibals live, effectively. Yeah. But remember, you didn't do that. And so then you asked for all sorts of things like, oh, what are the names of these people? Uh, and I, oh, I don't know what the names of the people are. And, uh, you know, let's, let's roll someone, because you, you're not even, you weren't meant to pick Actually, I'd written the names of these prisoners down. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're not the names I gave you. No. <laughs> uh, but I thought, well, in Salvage Town, they will meet these guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I just randomly rolled them from, from the book in advance. And I thought, Oh, but why didn't I use these? And you've thrown me so much by that, that by one going, yeah. hit that I then thought, oh, well, I don't know what's happening in the story. <laughs> um, it, was, it was particularly good. It's nice just to have a plan and work out all the bits of bobs and use use a few skills. Yeah. Uh, use my gearhead talent, uh, my blessing. Yes. Give it to the guy who's best off to do it. And then, yeah, it's no, great. No, it was, it was, was great. And then that great 66. I know. Just when you want it. <laughs> Yeah, the dice do make it sometimes, don't they? They really. Um, so, but I was thinking actually, as I listened, you know, and, and looking at stuff like this, that I've got. Well, you know, here's a location. You know, this would might be a nice thing to put together into a package for other people to play. Yeah, and obviously, I, 
we could just do that. I could write it up. It would take a bit of work because you can see, look at my notes. My notes are shit. They are. They yeah. are. Comprehensive isn't the word I would use. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, that's all you need there as a GM, isn't it? So, yeah, and yeah. your imagination. Yeah. Or that's generally the way I fly. Yeah. Um, or by the seat of my pants. Sometimes I don't even have that, that many notes. Um, we know, don't, we, tell, don't tell Dave, though, because he'll be really pissed off. We, oh, no, you are, Dave! We, we noticed that when he's been half the morning reading the fucking scenario. <laughs> anyway... Um, which which one was that? Oh, you do that all the time. Do I? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Over the years. You've got used to it. <laughs> well, I've, I've learned to work around it, I guess. Um, <laughs> where am I going with this? So I anyway, I thought we could... Uh, I think you're going open we, game license Yeah, I'm going open you? game license. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, you know, obviously I couldn't type all this up and just stick it online and stick it on my blog or whatever. But the open game license is coming. Indeed. So I, I've got a few things that I want to put together for that. I I don't have a sense yet. I, I was going to mail Nils just to ask how, what kind of formats and what. So I imagine how, with the open game license. How do, I, how do I take my lovely content, such as it may be, and put it into a format that. I imagine the open game license will come out with a bunch of assets. Yeah. So they're obviously doing. They're going to do it in line with templates, um, kind of thing. Drive through RPG, RPG yeah. which allows you to produce a PDF and then sell it through some sort of uh, storefront where all that stuff will be gathered together. Yep. And so things like uh, what they call the Dungeon Masters Guild, which is a sort of separate section of DRGP yep. drive through for for D and D content. And I imagine there'll be these resources that we can put into a desktop right. publishing program and make it look a bit of a family. And there'll definitely be some sort of logo that says Open yeah, zero compatible yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of thing. And there'll be a bunch of terms of use about how you use that sort of stuff. Um, so there's that. And some of those, uh, for example, the one for Unknown Armies is quite prescriptive in how you format stuff. Okay. Um, well, I don't really mind how they want it formatted. Hmm. I just... Want a nice, easy, uh, you know, user-friendly mechanism for doing that? Yeah, we might not. Um, we have to see how user-friendly it is. Yeah. For example, they might all imagine that everybody's got Adobe InDesign, uh, and the assets only work with that. But I hope not, because is that expensive? It's really expensive. Yeah, and it's by subscription only now as well. Oh god, I hate pain that. The ass. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see about Adobe that. InDesign. Is that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. So I mean, hopefully, I mean, I've got, I've got. At least two things that I could fairly quickly scrub up and put out on that, and that's the Trading Horizon, yeah, and obviously Tango Tango eighty two. And there seems to be a lot of demand for Trading Horizon. It does, yeah. I know. I'm kind of in two minds about whether to just chuck out what I've got anyway on my blog, um, or wait um, for the open game license to put it out more professionally, depending on how long that's going to take. Do we have a sense of when that's going to come out? Well. I, I haven't heard. We anything. got that little nod from Nils on G plus saying who was interested. Yeah, and and he was talking about the new yes. year, wasn't he? But uh, and um, it's the new year, and we're in the new year now. Yeah. It's now January. We've not had anything since. No, I think it might be time to give him a shout. Um, Nils, Nils. No, we'll get him. I'm, I'm <laughs> suggesting maybe we get him on the next next podcast. <clears throat> That's a good to idea. Talk about it. That's a very good idea. Actually, um, yeah. And or Thomas or whoever's actually Whoever running wants the OGL to. bit. Yeah. Um, we'll drop him a line. Um, the other thing I wondered about is actually we've got a bunch of content on our blogs that we've done so far. We you know, have. Generally transcripts of what we've been talking about here. I did wonder, uh, Kickstarter are doing a thing for RPGers 
uh, in February, uh, which is they're trying to encourage people to do old style fanzines. Right. Uh, they're insisting it can only be in printed in one colour, or they can use different colour paper and stuff like that. But there's a real feel of retro you know, feel, retro for, feel yeah. to it. And I just wondered whether we could repurpose some of our blog content, expand it a little bit into a fanzine uh, and do a fanzine and that might be a fun way of us launching the OGL content that's not a bad idea yeah because yeah. there's quite a lot there we could, yeah. we could it wouldn't it would yeah it wouldn't be just a leaflet would it no you know no. it might be a pamphlet it might it rather might, than a booklet it might even be a booklet <laughs> and I just thought you know years and years ago we started our collaboration together uh, on Songs of Blood and Sorrow we did Judge Dredd uh, scenario and yeah. it's just part of me is kind of going maybe it's time to, to, to do dust that again. off again yeah do it yeah <laughs> do. Uh, so the first you know, it, it, you know edition one of songs of blood and sorrow was what 1985 well, something like that edition, and that was the the final edition songs of blood and edition sorrow edition two <laughs> would be 2019 <laughs> well, no, so maybe we ought to get slightly more frequent in issuing the, uh, the yeah. fanzine if we're going to do it but there's yeah. the thing like so you know I'm interested to know just how Coriolis is covered within the OGL yeah because let us remind ourselves that actually Fielagan don't own the IP for Coriolis. Mm. So although they own, you know, they can easily give us the mechanics of the Coriolis game, because that's something they do own, how how much actual Coriolis content we're allowed to make and whether we're allowed to brand it Coriolis and yes. that sort of stuff, yeah. we have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So... Interesting, just as a side, as a ten- tangent on that... Um, I think I'm going to start using in my Coriolis games the Forbidden Lands mental crit table because mm. they've got the horror crit table in there, and I think that's one thing that Coriolis is missing. Um, well, it's one of the things you know. I'm just interested on talking those aliens um, that that there is a sort of mind, mental attack, but it doesn't affect your mind points at all. No, and you've got quite a lot of mind points. It's uh, it's a difficult thing to invent unless of course as somebody pointed out on the internet unless you shoot a min-maxed soldier who's put all his points in body with yeah. a stun gun and then knock him out straight away but even then he's going to have at least four isn't he yeah at yeah. least yes. probably five yeah so um, yeah that's interesting yeah so I think having having a sort of mind point crit I yeah. think that either you know a stun weapon could do that or um you know, or, a, a or some of the horrors of particular horrific thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you should. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So I'm going to have a look at that, and I might just use the one that's in the back of the Forbidden Lands book. Just... No, I'm going to challenge you. We've got content we need to produce for this. Ah. So how about for the next podcast, you work out properly how you'd use that okay. mechanic in comics? Wasn't I going to do something else? So I'm going to challenge you, Dave. I'm going to challenge you. You've got a choice now. <laughs> but for one of these things you have to produce for the next program. Either you do those uh, one-to-one Forbidden Lands henchman mechanics that you, we talked about at the beginning of the program, or you do the applying mental crits from Forbidden Lands to Coriolis. Uh, one of those two things in the next podcast, and the other one of those two things in the podcast after that. Two bits of homework. Done. Cool. Excellent. And I guess that brings us to the end of our show. So I haven't got any homework for you, though, have I? No, it's okay. I can I can invent my own homework. I've got plenty of homework. Remember, <laughs> you came to me for inspiration before this. I, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. That was a very good idea as well <clears throat> from from John Friendly. What have you called him? John, Tom Pleasant. Tom Pleasant. John. Jonathan uh, Friendly. He's Jonathan. a lovely guy. <laughs> uh, 
That's, uh, that's not a bad name, actually, isn't it? Jonathan Friendly. Anyway. Yeah, in fact, he might appear in a future scenario. <laughs> uh, well, it may be my Western character. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> or, or if it's not, there'll be an NPC called Jonathan Friendly who is anything but. <laughs> I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. all for that. Cool. Well, brilliant. Uh, so that's a lot to look forward to in the next episode. What are we going to do uh, about the Grindbone Challenge? Uh, well, we need to uh, we need to edit that, edit that down into into, into an episode. Yeah, absolutely. And what and about I've, a Simba Room adventure? I've got a Simba Room adventure also to. So it's going to be easier to edit on the Simba Room. Yeah, probably. What's the next AP because we're now out of APs. Yeah, well, I can I can if you want to if you want to work on the Grindbone. Okay. Thing I'll do the Simba Room. We've got probably four or five episodes of that to come out. Um, and then obviously this one. Yes. So this will be coming out uh, obviously after we've edited it. Yeah. Uh, which will be when you listen to it because you'll be listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, okay, well, uh, it, is, uh, it is early, guys. So, and uh, then in a couple of weeks from now, but probably a week or so from when you're listening, there'll be probably Simba Room. First yeah, episode I should be able to get that out. Yeah, yeah. So I think Grindbone will take a little bit longer and we probably need to come back for a recording session yes, I think as well. I think the, the, the Grindbone one, uh, the tournament we did at Dragon Meet, which is obviously quite a long time ago now, but... Um, we need to pick out the best bits because there's about two and a half hours of recording there and some of it um, yeah, might the, not be the, the best quality. Best quality. So we want to pick out the best bits and then you know, maybe do a little bit of match of the day um, comments from, uh, from, 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 uh, from me and Matt. Yeah. From Gary Lineker and uh, Mark Chapman. And Matt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, we've got quite a, lot, quite a lot to come. So in the meantime, I think it's time to say goodbye. It is. Goodbye. And may the icons bless your adventures. Yay! (laughs) Bye! been listening to The Coriolis Effect, presented by Fiction Suit with the RPG Gods, with music by Stars on a Black Sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. Imagery from NASA and the Hubble Space Telescope, brought to you by Wikimedia Commons. Typeface is code by Font Fabric. <laughs>